Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hi, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio again, finally. And today is Thursday, December 28th, 2023. And the first hour, Dr. Tim is out of town, and we played Laura McGowan one of her interviews from April um, of this year. And so now we're going to play another one of Laura McGowan's interviews, and it's on her book, Push Off From Here. So I hope you enjoy. Michael and I will be live the second hour. We'll actually start about 13 minutes early because this is only a 47-minute uh, recording. Enjoy. Laura McGowan had a long and successful career in public relations and the madman-esque drinking culture of advertising. After getting sober, she quickly became recognized as a fresh voice in recovery. Beloved for her soulful and irreverent writing online and in print, she now leads sold-out retreats and courses teaching people how to say yes to a bigger life. She lives outside Boston, Massachusetts with her daughter. Laura has an MBA from Babson College and spent 15 years in advertising, managing multi-million dollar accounts for Fortune 100 companies before transitioning to writing and teaching. She's the founder of several online programs for sobriety and personal development. You can find them by searching for The Luckiest Club. Her first book, We Are the Luckiest, The Surprising Magic of a Sober Life, was released in January of 2020. And her second book, Push Off From Here, was released in March of 2023. This is my second interview with Laura, which took place in May of 2023. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you. It's great to see you, Laura. Thanks for joining me again. I'm thrilled with um, having been through both reading and listening to your your new book, Thank you. Um, Push Off From Here. And I'm thrilled to have a discussion with you about the two books and uh, what brought you into them and where, where they've launched you. Sure. So the first, my first book, We Are the Luckiest, uh, is really focused on my story. It's a memoir of my journey through alcohol addiction and sobriety. And I, the, so if I, that published in 2020, but if I go back a bit, <clears throat> I started writing about this topic as I was getting sober and in my first years of sobriety. And one of the things that I did, uh, was often answer letters from people uh, who wrote to me about various things around their sobriety or addiction. And 
I got this letter from a woman whose sister was struggling with alcohol, and she was going through all the things that people go through uh, when someone you love is struggling with addiction. She was angry and happy. Uh, you know, mad and frustrated, but also loves her sister and, you know, kind of walking on eggshells, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. And she asked me, what would you have wanted to hear? And so I wrote her this letter in response and said all these, all this stuff. But then at the end I said, if you, um, you know, if this is too much, just give her this list. And I made a list of the things that I most needed to hear in that time when I was trying to get sober and kind of still needed to hear. I was a couple of years sober when I wrote this. And there are these nine points, um, and I'll say what they are in a minute. But that letter was written in 2016. I published it on my blog. Um, and I, when I went to write We Are the Luckiest in 2020 or published in 2020, I knew that I wanted those nine things to be the epigraph to the book, so the little part in the beginning of the book before anything starts. And what was funny was people really gravitated to those nine things. Like there's this whole book, you know, that follows, right. but people really love, love those nine things. And what they are is, one, it's not your fault. Two, it is your responsibility. Three, it's unfair that this is your thing. Four, this is your thing. Five, this will never stop being your thing until you face it. Six, you can't do it alone. Seven, only you can do it. Eight, I love you. And nine, I will never stop reminding you of these things. So that book goes out. Like I said, it's a story. It's my story. It's really about my experience. And it was published in January of 2020, and then, of course, the pandemic hit a couple of months later, and I was in the middle of book tour, and um, everything got canceled, and I'm sitting there at home one day, and I see that my local AA chapter is, has shut down, and they're not going to be having meetings, and I'd never seen that happen before, you know, ever not for any storm or holiday or like it just it was it was a moment where I thought oh my god you know what are what's going to happen to all these people that need support and I felt pretty solid in my sobriety at that point and I had built enough of a community and a following online and everything that I just thought okay I'll host some free meetings not AA meetings just I'll create a structure of my own and host some free meetings for this week, <laughs> thinking that that would, you know, the, the pandemic was going to be very short-lived. Um, and so I started hosting these meetings, and 200, 300, 400 people started to show up. And I, I had them that one week, and then I was like, all right, we'll just keep going because I'm around. <laughs> I don't have anything to do. Right. And I mean, I had a lot to do, I was, you know, but I didn't have anything to do. We're all homebound. And so... Uh, I, I hosted those meetings for six weeks, and it felt like in that time there was just something really magical happening in those spaces. Um, a lot of let the me, people let – me, let, me, let me just interrupt you and say there is a real gift in you to be able to recognize that magic happening. Mm. And, and don't lose that. Watch for that. These are rare – you know, in my experience – it's rare to have that kind of chemistry come together in a group. 
Mm-hmm. And when it happens, you know, not that it should be the, the be-all and end-all, but it is a wonderful thing when people recognize it and begin to nurture it. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think that's true. I can look back now and see that this that was like this very unique, specific alchemy happening right. at that time. And I'm glad I said yes to it. You know, I'm glad I, I jumped on it. So I was going to stop doing the meetings, though, because I had things to do. And my daughter was home and, and I had, you know, other work. I mean, I like I had other things to do. So I and it was a lot. I was hosting two meetings a day, one in the morning and one at night. And but I got a lot of people saying, please just keep these going. This is the first community I've ever had. This is the first time I've ever experienced a meeting. I'm really relying on these. I'm loving them. And and so within about, I made a, a quick decision, talked to like a couple people, my brother, and uh, just sort of sat with it. And I thought, you know what? I'll just, I, I'm going to give it a shot. I hired some people to lead meetings. Not So it wasn't just me. I set up, I created a a name for this community called the luckiest club based on my book and just ran with it really set it up in about um you know about a week and uh started a company or started a community rather and it's now still existing and thriving and we have over 40 meetings a week in this amazing community and app and all these other offerings so but what happened in there, so when I decided to create the Luckiest Club, I was like, okay, these nine things are going to be like our backbone. This right. is what we're going to say at the end of every meeting. And they're just, they're, they're kind of our mission in a way. Um, I tweaked the last two points. So number eight was I love you. And I made it say we love you. Or no, you are loved. Sorry. You are loved. And then number nine was, I will never stop reminding you of these things. And I made it we. So it's now this collective statement. And people just, you know, they, 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 they stuck and people really, um, it resonated with them. It resonated with them. Yeah. And they're so simple. Um, but people started to, you know, they just, they just clicked and, over time in, in running the luckiest club and, and in the community, it became very clear that while they understood these nine things, they're pretty straightforward and intuitive. It was also like, okay, but what does it really mean? Like, tell me more. How do you take responsibility? Why is it helpful to hear that it's unfair that this is my thing? Like what's beyond that? Yeah. How do you do uh, responsibility without blame and guilt, et cetera? Exactly. So um, it wasn't good. I wasn't going to write, this next book that wasn't going to be what I wrote, but um, it became clear that that was something that was, that needed to be written. And so then that's what push off from here is. That's the, the book that just came out is uh, an exploration of those nine points and a sort of prescriptive practical guide to how you might apply them to your life. And that's how it came to be. So it's this interesting thread that started in 2016 and just, you know, I kind of followed the breadcrumbs and um, ended up with now these, these two books out in the world. And so my mind goes to, can you tell us how you define your thing? 
Because I have this mm-hmm. thing in my head. I don't want to say it until after you've talked. But what what do you mean by this is your thing? Right. So things are what I think of it as anything that pushes you up against the edge of yourself and what you know and how you've coped in the past and really just pushes you outside of what you're capable of coping with based on on your sort of present skill set, I guess. It's pain. Things are things that cause you pain and and, and suffering and struggle that you have to change. You have to go through some kind of transformation or change in order to get through them. Um, Another more simple way of putting it is your things are things that kind of own you. They take away your freedom um, and your attention in a way that is destructive to you. Yeah, and oh. as as I come away from it after reading your two books a couple times, I I think of my thing as anything that blocks me from living fully in the moment, joyfully and creatively. Right? If it's well, that's if, a much more eloquent <laughs> description of things than I than I did. I should have a better. I've been writing about it for so long, but yes, you're right. That's that's a great because way to put it. That's, that's one of the things that I get from your two books is that it, it, while your struggle with an addictive process, part of, of, of both books and a big part of your life, it's not your whole life, and it's not mm-hmm. where you're focusing your energy to be able to have healthy, vibrant life and relationships and have joy in your life. And... The way I come to think about my thing is anything that is like a roadblock to me being there, present in the moment, being able to work through what's difficult and still embrace gratitude for life itself and having joy in my life. Yeah, I think that's very well said. When you were talking, I thought of this line that I heard in yoga teacher training a long time ago that was the blocks are the path. And I would say that that things are the blocks. They're not a problem. They're actually just part of life, right? But we do, they, they are, the blocks are the path. They're not, um, they're there to help us grow and figure out who we are and create ultimately more joy and meaning in our lives. But man, they suck. <laughs> you know, no. They're, they're, uh, addiction is one thing, but can be death, illness, divorce, eating disorders, anything that, you know, that, like you said, robs us of our presence. And or has me running away from it rather than mm-hmm. realizing that it's not possible for something to actually be bigger than me. And be there with it until my strength builds to the point where I can move through it with ease and grace. Right. If I run from it, I don't build that strength. I don't have the experience of being bigger than whatever is in front of me. And and that's one of the things that I have taken so beautifully, I think, that you write about in these books, is that the point is to build a joyful, creative expansive life 
And anything that wants to get in the way of me doing that is one of my things. Yes. And that, you know, I think one of the, the reason I called it a thing, like to me, when I went to get sober, it felt like addiction was this very singular sort of special thing that people go through. And that if you, that it it would would be something that you just had to live with forever and kind of like center your life around and think about it all the time and worry about it all the time and have it sort of define your identity. The reason I, I called it a thing is because there's, it's just this benign sort of term. Like there's so many different things that people face. Addiction is not that unique. It's not unique at all. It's not special. It's not even, I don't think it's that interesting. It just so happened to be this one of the things that I faced. And the idea is that I think that's important to say because we definitely other people who go through addiction. Right. And, and that's what, one of the things I love about well, the way you write about this and you've worked through it, thought about it, struggled with it, is that in a culture where the alcohol is basically the only drug you have to explain why you're not using it, right? The only other, mm-hmm. it's the only destructive, addictive substance you have to explain why you're not going to use it. Mm-hmm. It's a, that's a pretty sick culture. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a pretty distorted mindset. Mm-hmm. And to build a life In a culture, that, I, I, I love this line from Tuesdays with Maury where um, Mitch Album, who wrote the book, was talking to Maury, who was dying of ALS, and he said, Maury, I don't get it. You can't carry a tune to save your life. And when you get on the dance floor, it looks like somebody's constantly jabbing you with a cattle prod. And yet you sing at the top of your lungs and you dance like nobody's watching. How do you do it? And Maury said, well, Mitch, if you live in a culture that doesn't help you feel good about yourself, you need to create your own culture. Mm-hmm. That's great. And that's what I get from reading your books about, listen, if I want to go into a place where everybody's drinking and everybody's status is how much they can drink and how many shots they can do and still function, and if I want to go into that culture and I have a problem with you know, the way my body responds to alcohol where my judgment derails me and I I drink to the point where I'm going to kill myself, I need to create a culture or a place I can go and people I can surround myself with who aren't doing that as their primary entertainment or their primary distraction from life. Right. And the thing about your books is to say, this can happen. Totally. This is a very real possibility. There are all kinds of intelligent, creative, loving productive people who don't drink. They either yeah. don't drink all the time or they don't drink at all. Yeah. And you can and build a life for yourself in those environments and, and within those communities. And if they aren't right there in your face, take, you know, Maury's advice, create your own community, which is what you've done with TLC. Yeah. Yeah. And even a step further than that, too, is like I can exist in in – the other spaces too where people are prizing this this thing uh, alcohol and where it's they're obsessed about it and, and you know it, and it's very normalized and 
not feel other. Like, I don't care anymore. Right. But you do that after you've created the yes. strength in your core yes. about your value as a person. And, and the only way you do that is you define for yourself your value that's other than what the, the culture or the conditioning that you've been brought up in would define you as deficient if you can't drink with your buddies, et cetera. Yes, which I feel like that extra step, that second part is where a lot of recovery stops short. It's like you're you're focused on the no instead of the yes. And so much about, as you just said, that you're other. Yeah. You're not just another noodle in the soup. There's something really weird about you. Right. Yes. You're damaged and broken, so you better find other damaged and broken people hang out with and stay away from those other healthy people or those yeah. other stronger people. Right, those normal way, people. Right. That's just not the way it works. No. I never bought that. I don't know why. I just I thought that I never bought that. It's just weird to me. But but I, I get why people do. You know, it's everywhere. Well and so. if it's and if it if that's the core value or belief system or mode of operating from the community that you find to help you pull back from the edge so you're not going to kill yourself with your addiction, that's a part of the community. Then in order to belong there, you buy into that. Yeah. That we are other and that we are weaker. And that, and right. I get it. And it, it, it's, as you might have said a couple of times, it's a useful first step or two, but it's not our goal. Our goal is not to define ourselves as so damaged and broken. Our goal is to shore up those weak spots and build on our strengths and recognize our value. Yeah, and, and you know, it's so funny because I still still see it. Like, I saw this interview with Melanie Lansky, who's an, an amazing actress, and her husband, they were on the Drew Barrymore show. This was, like, really recently, like two weeks ago. And he was talking about how, his a little bit about his path and he um you could see in his body language like he's he is someone who struggled with alcohol and got sober but you could see in his body language that he there was still so much shame there and he was very apologetic and very you know i don't like there's a difference between humility and like apologizing for yourself and I I identified that in the interview. It's like, God, you don't have to carry it around like that anymore, man. You know, so. Well, and that thing about humility is the way I grew up and the way it was introduced to me that being humble is putting yourself below other people. Mm -hmm. But what I understand from the ancient uh, origins of the word from the ancient Aramaic, et cetera, is that it's more about being able to see that we're all the same and to look for and be able to identify the highest and best in another person. And then despite what's coming out of them toward you, cooperate only with their highest and best. Mm -hmm. Engage them as though they are the same level of value. They are another person of a being of brilliance and light. And yeah, they might have temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance, but I can still relate to them as who they really are. Yeah, I love that. That's great. It just puts us all – so this thing about humility is to recognize that the only significant difference between any of us at any time 
is the degree to which we live from the realization that we're all the same. What? He said the only difference is that we're all the same. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the only difference. Some of us think we flip-flop between thinking we're better and worse than others, and some of us are able to recognize we're just another noodle in the soup. Yep. That's right. That's right. And and that you there's so much power in that. You know, it's very enticing to want to think that you're one up, but or one down because it takes or the one down. off, right? Yeah, oh, I'm, oh, I'm yeah. so uh, worthless. Who am I to do this? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's a there's a trap that is really really enticing, but it's lovely to get out of it. So lovely, yeah. Everything's possible there when you don't have to take yourself so seriously and and so personally. That's I think the real freedom is. I found being caught in an addiction or anything that I guess causes you a lot of shame is that you're constantly thinking about yourself, not in a, not in a good way, but it's like everything uh, I talk about this and push off from here. I got it from you actually like this, how useless blame is and this idea that, you know, I am to blame for everything in all cases and that, you know, anything bad that happens is my fault. Um, is such a, it's such a strange, strangely egotistical way of viewing the world. Um, and even though we're doing it to sort of punish ourselves or like keep ourselves one down, it's so the, 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 um, paradox is that it's this grandiose idea you know it it you have to have a kind of a inside yourself to be able to say that there's a part of me that knows what a schmuck i am part of me that knows better than the part of me that keeps acting in a certain way Mm -hmm. i'm i'm both you know the the villain and the hero it's it's there's a craziness in the way our thought patterns work or that we're conditioned into that, you know, David Bohm has called sustained incoherence. Mm. And, and you know, Krishnamurti would talk of as just the absolute trap of thought. Yeah. Right. So um, I think my way into a problem and then I think I better think a way out of it. And it's right. not going to, it's not going to happen because the actual process of thought is flawed here I'm going to judge myself as bad and wrong. Well, who's judging who? How can I be, you know, these two separate people, one of them knows so much better than the other, and I beat myself up mercilessly for every misstep or faux pas or whatever, and it's just a trap. It's me just spinning my wheels. I'm not going anywhere. Nope. Nope. Yeah, that is the trap. That's one of the things I think that has been the gift of, being in recovery is that I just, I think of, of, of myself a lot less, not that it, in the sense of like just the t- the amount of time and energy I spend thinking about obsessing about what I've done wrong in myself and, and, oh, they must be mad at me and this is about me and, and like that exhausting, you know, thought process. Many of us live in those, what in the psychological realm is actually an actual, you know, pathological thing at an extreme and it's called ideas of reference 
I think everything's about me. I walk into a room and I think that the conversation went into a lull and then I think, oh, it's because I walked in. It's if when I make it too much about me, I'm losing the perspective that everybody I meet started out as a sperm and an egg and had their own life challenges and is going to end up in dust, et cetera, that we're all the same. Yeah, and they're, everyone's living in their own, you know, the amount – it was such a relief to, like, learn that people were not thinking about me. Like, they, they, are, thinking, they are doing the same thing I am, which is worrying about themselves, you know? Yeah. yeah. Guy, Guy Finley has a, a thing where he says – the, the vast majority of your mental and emotional pain, psychological pain, is the bitter fruit of a comparative life. Mm. Wow. And that's that, that ties into this thing about it. Every time you compare yourself to somebody else and you come out on the bottom, what you're doing is comparing their highlight reel to your outtakes yep. and vice versa. When you come out on top, you're just selectively picking the best bits of you and looking at somebody else and their outtakes. And, and, and again, the, the question that we try to help people ask is, what good does that do you? How does that move you forward in your life, in growth, in productivity, in joy? How does that do that? No, it doesn't. Okay. I think it's so, so often it's just unconscious. It's subconscious. You're just, that's where you're living. Well, it's what we've been con- con- trained in to do, conditioned to, to do. Right. Because, you know, we were born into this realm, it's like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I saw him say something like, you know, we say we try to make sense of things and that we put a high value on making sense of things. But pay attention to how limiting that is. That means I'm going to make everything fit into what I can sense with my five senses. Mm -hmm. And he says, the universe is out here trying to talk to us beyond our five senses. What does he mean by that? X-rays, infrared, ultraviolet, all these things are there, We, but we can't register them with our senses. Well, there's a lot more going on here yeah. than just the physical. Yeah. And so if all we're doing is measuring any person by what their physical output is, we're in a trap. We're in yeah. this very, very narrow, myopic view of life. Yeah. We're missing 95% of it. <laughs> and... For instance, you would never have noticed the magic going on with the luckiest club mm-hmm. if all you looked at was stats. Right. Right. Oh, there's only 100 people here. And there, exactly. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's um, – I've had a few of those mo- moments, many, actually many in sobriety. That, was, that has been – one of the absolute gifts is just being present to what was already always happening around me. I was just too, you know, mired in my addiction to to be able to see it. Right. And another way to talk about it is that almost all of us, at least in the Western culture, have an addiction, a couple of addictions we're not even aware of. One of them is the addiction to the familiar. Mm. Another one is the addiction to judge. Yes. And whenever I'm judging, going to see as many of these, like you called it an alchemy, right? This this wonderful chemistry in this group of people. If I'm judging, it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong. Whenever life unfolds in a way that I don't want it to and I start to judge, that's bad. 
I'm crimping my view down to this very narrow view. I'm getting tight and tense as though I might need to protect myself from something. And my field of vision is so narrow, I miss Mm -hmm. all of the ways that there might be a little miracle happening here, a wonderful synchronicity happening there, a wonderful opportunity expanding right here. So along with your sobriety, as you, let's say, we uh, we decide to um, get sober from judging, mm-hmm. we will also expand our ability to see these alchemies and miracles yeah. exponentially. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, I, I think, you know, just the alcohol example, I remember so so many days I just had to focus on, like, how sick I felt and just to try to get to the other side of that. You know, I can't even imagine what I missed on those days. Cause, but, but we're all, like, if you look at it as judging, you know, judging is like a trance you get into. Like, it's this very seductive trance. And if all you can think about is, how resentful you are about this thing that happened or what, you know, whatever the judgments are never ending. It's like, you're literally at your eyes are closed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, we come by it naturally. We've developed into it over, you know, hundreds and hundreds of generations, basically focused on the physical above all else. And not every culture did that. Yeah. Right. There were other cultures that had more focus on other energies and intuition and prayer and meditation and being in alignment with nature. And so, but our Western culture has basically have developed to be focusing just on the physical. And we've been conditioned from the language we learn all the way through all of our schooling to be in judgment. So if you want to take your health and your well-being and the joy in your life to the next level, try to go, try to abstain from judgment Yeah. And get sober from judgment. It's hard, man. It's That's a trick what... because it's been so thoroughly conditioned and so much of our mind that, that helps us, our brain that helps us is autopilot. Yeah. It's a really mm-hmm. useful thing, right? I wouldn't want to have to learn how to drive a car every time I get in one. <laughs> right. So there's a part of the mind where it's useful, but another area of my life where that judgment and that autopilot and what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind is counterproductive Yep. at best. At best. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. So then a lot of times people ask, well, so if I'm not judging, what am I supposed to do? Just accept everything and just be a doormat and... No, the the option that some people like Rilke, uh, Rainier Marie Rilke will, will say is we le- we need to learn to live in the question without yeah. demanding an answer because in the moment a mind can ask a really loving, powerful question, that mind isn't even capable of comprehending the answer. That mind has to grow and expand. And in Rilke's words, perhaps if we stay in that questioning state, learning to live there, we might grow along someday into an answer. Yes. Yeah. So instead the... of judging, this is bad, this shouldn't happen, is if I start saying, oh, well, this has happened, I wonder how this is going to work out. I leave yeah. myself in an open space rather than, damn it, this shouldn't be happening. Yeah, that's a huge thing I talk about and push off from here was just, is this, that, um, how 
self-denigration is just like our default in Western culture and shame. We just, we just beat the crap out of ourselves and how we think that's actually what's going to make us change, you know, more pressure, more discipline, more self-beating. And that sobriety was actually the first time that I realized like that isn't going to work. That that's not working here. I can't punish. I can't hate myself into getting sober. I tried. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and lots of know. people will help you try that. <laughs> they will. Yeah, oh cause yeah. They're, Cause they're doing it to themselves and, and, well, that's and what they're doing it taught. to you too. Right. Yes. Especially that's the, that's the sort of where addiction is unique is because there are many people who t- will tell you what a piece of crap you are, you know, right. being. What we know about how these human mind, body, energy systems work is anybody who tells you you're a piece of crap doesn't feel good about themselves. Yeah. Whatever comes out of that person's mouth is always going to tell you more about what's going on inside that person than it's ever going to tell you about you or anything around them. Yeah, that's so. it's so hard to take that in, though. Like, that's a... That's like a PhD level lesson, I think, for for a lot of people, including myself, you know, because we... Well, listen, um, being able to live there all day, every day would be PhD level. That's like, but please don't cheat yourself out of the ability to play with it and grow in your ability to do it moment to moment from situation to situation. Right. Because it's as easy as recognizing that's an option and then opening up to, well, what if? Right. What if what, what if this that's person true, is that... saying is not about me? Right. What if when I when I attack somebody in anger or an insult, it means there's a pain or fear or sadness in me? And what if I take a breath and turn in here and look at that? Mm-hmm. And it's this process of growing into recognizing it, if it happens to be true for you. But the only way you can do that is if you move yourself more and more into observation in the moment and away from belief and judgment. Yeah, I did this really, like, one of the big turning points I had when I was getting sober was I, I, you know, had a night, a morning where I woke up after drinking again, not wanting to again, and doing it again, and, you know, I woke up with those same self-beating thoughts running through my head, like, I can't, you know, I can't believe you're in this spot again, you're, this, you suck, this, you know, what is it going to take, you piece of crap, and thinking, um, I remembered this was actually from Eat, Pray, Love. Like, it just came to me, Liz Gilbert sitting in an ashram in India, uh, going through an episode of, like, extreme depression and anxiety and writing to herself in the voice of what she understood as God and just saying, like, look, I'm here. i I'm stronger than this depression and I am not going anywhere. And like, what do you need? I'm not going to leave you. And I remember that in that moment. And I wrote that down to myself, like, okay, I'm not leaving. Like you're, I'm here. So you drink again. So what, what happened? What was that about? And it was such a totally, I I remember looking down at my feet it was summertime and like my feet were tan and I had blue nail polish on and I thought 
and thinking like, your feet are really pretty. <laughs> and thinking like, you're, it's, it, you're beautiful. It's okay. And so in that moment, it was this like loving curiosity. Like instead of going, I can't believe that happened again and you did that again. Like just going, so what happened? Right. It made, you know, made all the difference. Yeah. Childlike curiosity. As you say, loving curiosity. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I realize we're we're pushing up against one of my hard time limits, so I want to come back to you and ask you, if you just take a breath and center, um, what's a, a an area that maybe we haven't touched on yet that you want to talk about or um, something that we've already discussed that you want to go back and highlight? I think that the thing that I would love to, to just touch on is there's a part, there's chapter three in the book is about, uh, and push off from here is, is it's unfair that this is your thing. And writing this chapter was such a journey for me because I didn't really know what else to say about that. Like I knew that it was something that I needed to hear and that is very helpful for other people to hear, but I didn't know exactly why and like what is underneath that and what I realized in writing it and sort of digging is we don't actually expect things to be fair like we don't really think that life is fair Um, so it wasn't about that it was about having someone witness and acknowledge and validate your sorrow. And that's what it was about. We we need, I read Tara Brock, when I was writing this, I read Tara Brock's Radical Acceptance. And she writes about the, the need for someone to witness our sorrow and acknowledge that it's real and when it came to addiction and there's other areas where this applies but I realized we have all of these sort of unstated rules about grief in our culture about who's allowed to feel it and at what level and for how long and when it comes to addiction we do not think that people who struggle with addiction deserve to feel grief about it. They've caused the harm. They've caused the pain. They need to atone. (laughs) They don't deserve grief. So what happened when I allowed myself to hear, like, this is just unfair, this sucks, was just that acknowledgement that, yeah, you are going through something really painful and really hard. And I see you and I care about your suffering. And you're still okay and you're still beautiful and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And how I just, that was such a like exploration for me um, to, to see what that was really about. And, and that's, 
because so many people, when you go through something difficult and, and specific, whether it's parenthood or a divorce or your mother dies or whatever it is, you have to find people who are going to understand why this hurts in, in the specific way that it hurts. So this speaks to the community that of people you might find. When I tried to go to my immediate family or my you know, ex-husband or my friends even, about what I, I was experiencing when I was trying to get sober, it was so, I was so frustrated and disappointed because they could not acknowledge that. Right. But when I found people who could and who got it and who would say, yes, this does suck, and yes, I, I see your pain and it's real and uh, I care about it, that changed everything. Yeah, like a warm bath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, like coming home. Yeah, we have such a fundamental need to be seen. Yeah, and most of us that have that so deeply didn't have it uh, in our families of origin, even if they were, you know, not real abusive families, but whatever. I, I interviewed a psychiatrist who's uh, self-reported on the autism spectrum and she's brilliant and she talks about it as uh, children are either a laptop or a rock what does that mean well she said a rock you know it still functions as a rock if you bounce it off the wall if you drop it in a lake if you throw it in, in a snowbank it still functions as a rock it can be a projectile or a doorstop or but a laptop, you bounce that off a wall or drop it in a lake or throw it in a snowbank, it doesn't function at all. Mm. And you don't have to be raised in a highly abusive environment to come out not getting what you feel you need. And if there's a mismatch between your personality and your style and your physical sensitivities and and what your parents and your friends are able to provide in terms of connection and validation and support, then you can grow up feeling really, really weak in your core. And then you really need that outside validation more. You really yeah. need that sense of being heard. Yeah. My hunch, though, is at this stage in your life with your development, your sense of urgency to feel heard is nowhere near as strong as it was when you were getting sober. No, not at because, all. Because now you've internalized it. Now you've got that core strength in here. Yeah. And that does, you know, I, I, I want one of the, the reasons that I write these books and just like like to do the work I do is because that's available to everybody. You know, it's not always going to feel that way. I had such a, I can see that's why I was writing so much and talking so much. I, I could not just say enough about what what was happening with me at that you know for years and then and now I don't feel yes I don't feel such an urgent need to do that at all because it's more solid within you because you can mm -hmm. rest in it internally mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah wonderful wonderful well thank you so much for being willing to join us again My and pleasure. um I, uh, is it, is it your intention to keep Luckiest Club 
functioning? Is it going to stay yeah. where it is, grow? Is it, there, those support yeah. groups are going to be out there for people? Yeah, it's. I've hired. I don't run it anymore. There's. I have a CEO. There's four full-time employees. There's a bunch of amazing contractors who run meetings. It's. We're growing and thriving, and um, there's no intention to stop it. And people can find out about that where? At theluckiestclub.com. And then your two books are still available? Yeah, they're available everywhere you could buy a book. We are the luckiest and push off from here. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's delightful. Thank you for all the work you do and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let me turn off. Um, I am not sure. I'll, I'll have Dr. Tim check out the recordings. It sounded to me like it's the exact same recording that we played day before yesterday, but um, it was titled different. So anyway, I enjoyed listening to her again, and I told Michael, I said, apparently somebody needs to hear that message one more time. So hopefully Blog Talk has gotten their issues straightened out. I've written them two or three times, haven't heard back except thank you for your patience. And so anyway, hopefully they've got it all fixed and we are rock and roll for the rest of today and hopefully tomorrow as well. Michael will be with us here momentarily. And so until he gets with us, I just want to say that, you know, I hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas and are looking forward to a safe and wonderful New Year's. And, uh, If you haven't been to the website lately, whyagain.org, and check out and see if there's anything new that you hadn't seen before. And if there is a, uh, sorry about that, I'm not sure what that noise was. And if um, you run across a a link or something that's not working, please drop me a line at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org and let me know and I will get it fixed. And so welcome everybody that's on the switchboard and in the chat room, and we're glad you're with us today and joining this conversation. And Michael will be with us in a minute, and if you're not familiar with what all we do, um, whyagain.org, it's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org, and you can click on the Start Here button if you're not familiar with the work. There is also, uh, under the start here, there are two videos, one that will help you to navigate the website because it is a huge website, and one will help you navigate familiar with the app. Um, You just go to your app store, whether it's iPhone and your Apple store or whether it's Android to Google Play, and you'll find the Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness app. It's free, totally private. And uh, we hope that you put it to work in your life. We don't get any information from it unless you fill in your name and and information at the beginning of downloading it and you click that you want to be added to our mailing list. And then it will send me your name, address, phone number. If you're not on our mailing list and you would like to be, you can also go to our website, whyagain.org. And if you scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page, there's a glowing uh, heart And it says join our mailing list. If you click that, then there's this little form for you to fill out with your name and information. And that will um, ensure that you get our newsletters. 
if you've missed the newsletters, you can go up to media and then go down to news and newsletters, and there's links to, you know, used to, um, this was BJ before Jeannie, Michael did physical newsletters that they mailed out. And starting in May, June of 2016, we started doing electronic newsletters and sending them. And so all of those, the links to all of those are um, under newsletters. So you can go back and look at any of them that you've missed. But be sure and add your information to our mailing list. And that way you'll get them. We, you know, are very um, easy on your email. I mean, like this year, I sent a total of five uh, e-newsletters out. And that's about an average. So about every other month. And so it's not like we bombard your email. So, uh, you know, we'd love to have you on our list. And what we teach, there again, if you're not familiar with the work, is based on the Aramaic forgiveness, which is, you know, our culture has taught us, you and I interact and I become angry, but I forgive you for making me angry. I blame you for my anger. And if I forgive you for it, I've done nothing to address my anger. And so in Aramaic, forgiveness is going inside and removing the anger so that no matter what happens in your space, you can stay connected to your source, which is love. And that's what this work is about. So how do you do that? How do you go about uh, getting rid of all of the, the angers and the fears and the griefs and all the things that we've bought into and have taken on as part of their identity? And then from there, we've expanded out, of course, to stress and to relationships. And we have workshops for just about anything and everything. And you can go to the website under shop, and you can either get hard copies of the DVDs and CDs, or you can get streaming, streaming now, and don't actually have physical uh, discs. So you have an option. You can get both. And then we have a few books now. Michael's announced it several times that starting on Monday, January the 15th, we are going to start working with the Enlightenment book, which is what's been printed out of the Kaboris manuscript so far. And so if you would like to have an Enlightenment book to be able to follow along, you know, if you ordered it on the website, it's going to charge you the $25 plus, I think, $9 for shipping. But we have decided that we will cover the shipping. However, you know, the... the donation button on their website goes through PayPal and they get almost a dollar out of 25. So what we're asking you to do is to donate $26. That'll cover the fee that PayPal gets. It'll pay for the book and we will cover the shipping and get it out to you so that you have it before we start working with January 15th. If you're not familiar with what that is, you can go to the website. And there is a link at the top on the far right that says Kaboris. And underneath it, it will give you an introduction to the Kaboris manuscript. You can see pictures of it. You can read about the Kaboris project. Then there's a link called Enlightenment, and that's the book that I'm talking about. And that's what's uh, been translated out of the Kaboris so far. There's the history of the Kaboris. Um, there's a link called Aramaicism. The ceremony when they first got the Kaboris manuscript at Heartland, and then there's the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer, which comes out of the Aramaic. So all of that's listed under the link that says Kaboris. So if you want to look into more information about what I'm talking about, click that link, and there's lots of information that you can read. 
And I see Michael has joined us, so I'm going to turn on his microphone and say welcome, Michael. You're muted, Michael. (laughs) And the reason I'm having to turn his microphone on is because I got on the show to start Dr. Tim, so I'm in as host. And uh, so luckily we were able to, to get in and stay in. So did you get unmuted? I did. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. I'm glad we've got an extra few minutes with Dr. Tim's show running a little short. It gives us an extra few minutes today to uh, move into this conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness. And I'm, I've been spending time working on how we're going to uh, move forward with the Kaburis. I actually... Back about 20 years ago, I spent a full year on the road with that manuscript, traveling around the country, we're getting high-resolution images made. And everywhere that I took it or presented it, you'd open it, and people could feel the energy. People just go, oh, well, they really feel it. So looking forward to that study, there was a – I'm not remembering the name of the uh, – the medical doctor, but there was a medical doctor that wrote a book a few years ago, and his work was very power, popular and powerful, and he had developed a, a scale for what's actual, what's coming from the actuality and what's, what are realities, and his scale went from one to a thousand, and uh, there was a group in California that was working with his book. Do you remember the, the name of that book, Sweetie, or that physician's name? I don't. Well, in any event, uh, they uh, they did a, a measurement on the manuscript, and their take was that the manuscript, on a scale of a thousand, measured 985, and they never found anything else that had done that. They actually did a measurement of my book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again, and it was 920, and uh, it was just kind of like a scale of aliveness. In any event, I'm excited that we're going to get into that again. It's it's made me get, go back to it in a new way. And so we'll be presenting from the book Enlightenment, which is, as Jeannie said, what we've published so far, from the Kaburis manuscript. And the Kaburis is a text that was found in the Kaibor River. That's why it's named that, the Kaibor River in Turkey back in the 70s. A former partner had gone and funded an expedition and gone to the Middle East to find such a manuscript. They were working on an Aramaic text that came from somewhere in the the 700s, and it was not complete, and they wanted a complete text, and an older one if they could, and they found actually a copy of the oldest known New Testament, its original Aramaic language. We actually, someone had posted on, uh, on my Facebook page a cartoon, and it was an old cartoon, but it was about a guy who died and went to heaven, and this guy's a real hipster, and the cartoon's about maybe four or five minutes long, and he just goes from one idiom to another to another to another as he's, you know, as the enlightened ones are standing there going, we don't know what you're talking about. When you're talking about being hip, is there something wrong with your hip? I mean, he just used all of the idioms. <laughs> that that our culture uses, and of course, if you're not familiar with idioms, it makes no sense. And uh, maybe we'll see if we can get the audio track of that cartoon uh, for that show because it's just hilarious. I, I mean, the the cartoon character goes on for about five minutes about his life, and you know, he's explaining it, and and 
they don't understand anything because all he uses are idioms, idioms, idioms. And as I listen to that cartoon, it's like, that's about what the Greeks did with the Aramaic language. They made up all kinds of stories about what this must have meant. And nothing, nothing. There's so much that's missing, it's just mind-boggling. So that's what we're going to get into. So I'm excited about that. Beyond that, we're rolling up to a new year very quickly and looking forward to how that uh, study unfolds. I have no idea how long it's going to take. You know, we spent a year on why is this happening to me again. I suspect we'll easily spend a year in this Aramaic conversation along with all the other processing that we do. So if you're out there in this land and you've got a question for us, I know I got a message from someone that was going to call in uh, today. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Nobody has a hand up. Bob's in the chat room. That's our friend from Australia. And he said that he is actually in bed with the flu and a perforated eardrum. So we send loving energy, Ouch. healing energy your way, Bob. Yes, for sure. Extending love in your direction. Do you by chance, sweetie, have the phone number 619-309? No. I've got no? everybody okay. tagged who is on there. I uh, recognized all the phone okay. numbers, and they're not on okay. yet. Well, Peter texted me and said he had something he wanted to discuss, so I kind of expected he would be there, but obviously he's not there yet. So if you're out in listen land, the field's wide open, and we've got an hour to talk about it. So what's on your mind? What is your practice of forgiveness going to look like in the future? Is your life going to look like next year? Are you looking forward to next year out of anticipation, joy, and aliveness? Are you not looking forward to next year because there are some trauma situations in your life that perhaps need to be handled? And if so, that's what we're here to support. We're here to support stepping out of the perceptual world of shadows of reflections of the past. You go back to Yeshua in 2,000 years ago, he says, don't judge by appearances. What did he mean by appearances? Basically, what, the, what we call the human mind, the mind of man in the ancient teachings, does is it, like your computer, you know, your computer has a database, and you can't get anything out of the database that isn't in the database. If you're hooked up to the Internet, you can go to a larger database and get more information. But even then, you can't get something that isn't there. You can't get something out of your multi-generational database called a body-mind unit that isn't there, and you can't get anything other than what is there. And if you're getting something from your multi-generational database, the past, because if it's there, it's, it's obviously from the past, then everything that the mind constructs as a reality, as a picture, which we paint on the inside of our eyeballs and think we're looking out in the world at something, everything that we look at is a reflection of the content of our minds. Literally, everything. You know, there were two minds that they spoke of in the ancient scriptures to live in. One was the mind of man. And what is that? Well, 
if you look at this body-mind unit as an energy system and you recognize that everything that comes to it is an energy that's stored holographically in every cell in the structure, that stored information, when resonated into activity, the mind turns into literally the world you see, turns it into a visual image. I see it's an interesting line in the... Uh, Course in Miracles, where it says, perception is a skill made up by you to take the place of creation, to take the place of what was given to you in the actuality. So the mind has an interpretation for everything and is stored literally as an energy holographically in every cell in your structure, including the sperm and the egg. And were you to conceive a child tomorrow, that child would have in its structure every thought you've ever thought, every feeling you've ever felt, every energy you've ever engaged in. This multi-generational database is a, a repertoire, a, a repository, pardon me. Its repertoire is whatever's happened in the past, and it's a repository for everything that's gone on in the past. And so depending what comes into the senses that stimulates that content, the mind has this amazing capacity. It turns thoughts, digital information, into pictures. Just like your TV set, you know, you, you go in those wires, you can cut those wires apart, you can cut the tubes, you can cut the, the transistors, you can cut the capacitors, you can cut the resistors. You won't find one picture in there. You'll find information. And the TV has the ability to convert information into pictures. Your mind has the ability to turn information into pictures. If the information that you're turning into pictures in your mind is from the past, then everything is a replication of something that happened in the past and therefore is an appearance. <clears throat> Where is this information stored? Well, if you took your body into what we call your body into a lab and said, I want you to take this piece of this and I want you to break it down and tell me what its base elements are, they would tell you that the base element is carbon. If you recognize that this carbon-based memory system, CBM on the worksheet, has stored everything from the past, then you find that this mind can trick you. you know, if you look at a carbon atom, there are six electrons, six protons, and six neutrons. That's the mind of man, 666. It has a number. And it creates appearances from the past that do nothing but replicate the past. And if we're living in the past, if we're replicating the past, then obviously we're stuck in the past. You remember there was one particular fellow who ran into the work of Yeshua and said, wow, I like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm coming along. I'm going to do this. But first of all, I need to go bury my mother and my father. That didn't mean that his mother and father died yesterday and he had to go bury them. That meant that was a reflection of in that particular culture a man was obligated, the oldest son was obligated to be with his parents until they died and then arrange their burial. So as he said to Yeshua, well, you know, I'll be back, but I'm going to go bury my mother and my father. He might have been gone for 20 or 30 years. And you remember the, uh, the instruction Yeshua gave him at that moment. He says, let the dead bury the dead. Let the blind lead the blind. If you're living out of carbon-based memory, number one, you're dead. And number two, you're blind. You've never seen anything with your eyes. In all of eternity, you've never, nothing that your brain paints on the inside of your eyeballs reflects what's actually out there. But there is another mind in you. 
it's the mind that conflicts with that mind of 666, carbon-based memory. The other mind, and this is not a religious idea, it's the fact that you get to live in the mind of love, which feeds you information from actuality directly. You can live in that mind. Where you live, where you work, where you know, where you have your conflicts, where you have your educational system, where you have your paycheck, where you, everything that you do, if you're living in that mind, then you're living in actuality, and that life is going to be a whole different game than if you're living in carbon-based memory, which just replicates pictures from the past depending on what's happening in the actuality and what the actuality resonates in you. So you've got a choice. There's a self that is stored in carbon-based memory. It's a, a multi-generational family pattern based on power person dynamics of who most people think they are. It's a picture in the mind. It comes complete with thoughts and feelings, or what appear to be thoughts, and expressions of emotions that seem to be real in the moment. But they are, as Yeshua said 2,000 years ago, nothing but an appearance. And what he said about the self that appears in that context is, in order for you, the true being that you are, to live, the non-being, the carbon-based memory picture of yourself has to die, has to go. So in order for you to live, you've got to die. That doesn't mean go put a bullet in your head, cancel that thought. It means you've got to dismantle the false self that's based on power person messages. How do you tell if there's a false self in you based in power person messages? You get to have realities based in hostility and fear. And you've said to yourself, why is this happening to me again? Once you recognize that hostility and fear mean there's something in you to be removed, i.e. something in you to be forgiven, then you open the space to live in a different world. You open the space to actually move into actuality. Now, there's some interesting Harvard research that says in the time frame where 10,000 brain cells are firing, there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity firing off, that in that time frame, the maximum amount of data that goes into conscious awareness, the mind of man, is nine bits. It speaks about the unconscious part, the part that's hidden from us, the other 9,991 bits of information, as the heart or the unconscious. Remember, they said, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in life. Because that's where the mass of information, the mass of energetic dynamics are, is in your unconscious. You must forgive from your heart the wrongs of your brother. It doesn't mean, it's not a bleeding heart statement about letting your brother off the hook for what's happening inside of you. If someone stands before you, your spouse, your parent, your child, the guy down the block, the enemy, the friend, and you're in some form of hostility or fear, and thinking it's got to do with them, you must forgive, you must remove from your heart that which you put into your brain's image of your brother. And in the ancient scriptures, and the way they translated into the Greek, and I actually don't have this from the Aramaic, let's see if I can find it. But they talk about the heart is filled with wickedness. Now, wickedness isn't, you know, the... the uh, witchy image you have of some evil person, 
it's basically just saying that everything that's stored in your mind is from the past and it bears no resemblance to the present and therefore it tears you out of the present. It, it costs you your human life. Yeshua, you know, 2,000 years ago, that's what they were dealing with and it's only exacerbated since then. And men come along to make power trips based in fear out of those teachings. You know, right down, you know, there's over 300 times we're warned about fear. Do not fear. Let go of fear. Get out of fear. And yet there are those who have the audacity based on those teachings to say, <coughs> excuse me, did you know that fear is the, of God is the beginning? So fear of love is the beginning of wisdom. And my offering is that's the beginning of stupidity to even make such a statement. And it's the beginning of a doctrine and a dogma that locks people out of life and into fear. And if you lock people in fear, they're stupid. And they'll wonder why it is that this keeps happening to them over and over and over again. Because fear is an energy amplifier for what we're creating. You remember Job gave us that really powerful lesson, that which I feared most has come upon me, that which I dread is what has happened. He was talking about our creative process, and yet we have people <laughs> in the name of those scriptures who are actually trying to convince people that if you fear love, the creator, that's how you get smart. No, that's how Churchiani gets adherence. Anywhere that you find that fear and hostility game going on, you don't find the goal of reaching the actual presence of love. Many people within many churches are really truly about getting to the truth and getting to the, the direct experience of the presence of love. But unfortunately, the how-to has virtually been eradicated by the Greek translations that have taken over the ancient Aramaic words of Yeshua. So we're here to restore it. We've got a hand. Awesome. Well, let's say hello to the hand. I believe that it is Bob from Australia. Welcome, young man. Oh, welcome. <laughs> we haven't heard your voice in a while. Sending love in your direction. Well, thanks. I could, yeah, I could do with a bit at the moment. It's, um, it's, um, Unfortunate, uh, I don't know, it's unfortunate, it just is, isn't it, um, for me to call in uh, what is a, a hard time in my life. Um, I'm not sure where this conversation will go, but I'll just go with the flow. Um, um, I'm sort of sitting here wondering, as creator, why I, I have created this um, this scenario in my life. Um, I recently had a... And my doctors told me I might have bowel cancer and I might have prostate cancer. So, whoa, whoa, you know, mum and dad both died of cancer, so that was a big bogey for me. And uh, mm. had some had some results um, from the colonoscopy, um, which was they found a few polyps, cut them out, um, no signs of cancer. So that was great. Um, um, but there is something wrong with the prostate and. I've got to go for a biopsy in three or four weeks, and uh, I'm not looking forward to that. It's a long drive and that cleansing routine. And now, here I am. <laughs> I, all I can do, I can barely get out of bed, um, and I've got a perforated eardrum, 
And I'm thinking, well, you know, what's the lesson that I need? What's the lesson that I need to learn from this event that I've created in my life? You know, like. <laughs> Congratulations are in order, Bob. Congratulations are in order. I reckon I'm just. It's like when I lost my home to Cyclone Debbie. The lesson I learned there was to totally let go of the attachment to things. So. Um, I learned that lesson and paid a fair price for it. I'm just not sure what the lesson is that I need to learn from this, this scenario that I have created in my life. Well, here's my offering. You know, Good. medicine, billions and billions of dollars has been sent trying to cure the common cold, like the common cold is a disease. <laughs> but the common cold it's isn't not. a disease. That's why they will never cure it. It's a body saying, I'm ready to throw off the garbage. I'm ready to throw off the junk. So, yeah, you're going to snot, you're going to poop, you're going to do all sorts of things, you're going to sweat. They're all eliminative functions, accelerated, and the body's getting rid of what it doesn't, what doesn't want and doesn't need. Now, if someone refuses to do that, stays with their sugary, you know, their Cokes and their hot dogs and their dead animal flesh and, you know, the, uh, the junk food of the culture and doesn't eat that which really vitalizes then the cold, when it wants to come out, you know, somebody goes and, you know, if you, if you go into the drugstore, you'll notice that one of those remedies for the cold doesn't say, will cure your cold. It says it will suppress the snot coming out of your nose. <laughs> It'll shut it down, which means it's going to lock it in and, and frustrates the body trying to get it out. And the next stage of that is what they call the flu. So my take is, you know, and, and I know you've been really done a lot of work and you've been in willingness. My take is that your flu is your structure opening up. And it wouldn't surprise me if they get there and take a look at your prostate and go, oh, we can't find anything. Because what I hear you saying is your structure is handling some toxicity that you weren't able to handle before. So my input would be that you cooperate with it, you stand in willingness with the flu and go, okay, I'm glad, I'm ready for everything to open, I'm going to move to willingness, uh, get some nice fresh lemons, a little bit of cayenne, or as much cayenne pepper as you can take in lemon water, and uh, a little bit of uh, maple syrup, drink as much as you can, that'll help to break the mucus that the body's trying to let go of, it'll help to break it up, you'll get through it faster, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if, if you went back to the, the test that they did to you recently, where they said this, 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 and this, that if you uh, went back and had those tests done again, there's a whole other level of healing. Some of the stuff they found will have disappeared. So that yeah, be no, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Michael. Um, it's like, for me, um, <laughs> it, like Western medicine is just totally targeted on suppressing symptoms. You know, and um, whereas I, I honor my body, and my body is so much smarter than me, and it's always sending me messages, and I just have to listen and obey. So for me, the flu, the message I get from the flu is, Bob, you've been a naughty boy. You've been ingesting all these toxins for the past year. Well, we're going to clean you out, and you're going to feel like crap for a few days, but at the end of it, you'll feel much better. And so... For me, it's just it's a, a natural. Um, yeah, it's a natural process of my amazing immune system, um, which is a gift from of creation, you know. And 
Yeah, so <laughs> it's it, it's it's not very pleasant at the moment, but I can see my way through. And the funny thing is, I'm so aware of my body, like I can hear sometimes, I can hear the synapses in my brain firing. That may sound weird. And also I can feel, it's like when my brain is under tension, it's like, yeah, I'm really getting some some strange messages from my body at the moment. But, um, yeah, I knew we would be aligned on this, um, you know, natural health. For me, for me, um, and broad brush statements are always dangerous. But for me, science is the sickness and nature is the cure. Um, I have nothing against science and technology that works alongside and in harmony with nature, but I have no time for any technology that reckons that, that, they, that it can improve on nature. For me, that's just... I'm arrogance. with you on that one. Yeah. Mm. Good on you, mate. <laughs> well, we hold the space with your willingness and extend love in your direction to lift you up and see you being able to move faster and faster through whatever needs to move through and uh, reaching deeper and deeper into your structure to whatever it is, wherever it is in your structure, to be opened and eliminated by that awesome immune and eliminative system. It's an amazing, amazing device. Ooh, yeah. Why would you, you know, why would you cut yourself off from it? You know, I can't understand that. That's, that's um, an insanity of Western society, isn't it? You know, like, oh, I've got a headache, I'll take a... I'll take a, I'll put a toxic chemical into my body to cure my headache. Yeah, your body lacks aspirin. That's why you've got a headache. Your body lacks aspirin. We can fix that. It lacks well, and, and that's, you know, that's the end result of people yeah. who live in perception, constructs of the mind. Well, looks like there must be an enemy in there. Oh, yes, I've, my generations have been trained in enemies. So what do we do with enemies? We kill. Okay, let's find something to kill this enemy within us. Rather than, oh, how do I treat my structure lovingly, gently, with respect, and support it being able to throw off what never belonged? It's just a whole different, you know, it's a difference between drug medicine and the system of medicine I'm trained in is naturopathic. It's just the difference of night and day. So yeah, with you all the um, way, my friend. I'm already taking my baking soda and molasses. Um, so Keep and, yourself alkaline. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my darling, alkaline. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling. Oh, my darling, alkaline. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. And then those minerals yeah. and molasses are, are awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. I feel much lighter now having, having shared, um, you know, um, my lived experience, um, which is all that I ever have. So thank you very much. It's, uh, it's always comforting to know you guys are there. All right, my friend, we appreciate you and extend love in your direction. We're delighted when you join us. Have a blessed one, and with the new year coming up, make it the best one yet of your eternal life. Onward and upward. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Wait. Be blessed. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hey, well, Ms. Jean, do we have anybody else in the phone queue with a hand up? or no, Anything happening in the chat room? Quiet. 
I know with us being offline for a few days, um, there are a few people missing. They probably thought that it wasn't going to work again today. A shame. So, or an opportunity. But we have 35 minutes. Press one, ask your question. Anything on your mind for you to share, sweetie? Mm, no, I can't think of anything. Uh, I had uh, a monthly meeting with our my graduating class meets um, one Thursday a month and has brunch together and play catch up with each other and talk about kids and grandkids and <laughs> so it was. Um, I had to breathe through several sections when um, my classmates were talking about basically how decrepit their bodies were getting, and it's like, you don't have to be that way. We can That's use... the conversation, the culture. Yep. I was talking with someone this morning in a session about cymatics, and if you're not familiar with that term, you might just go on YouTube and type in the word cymatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S. And it's the science of understanding how frequency impacts form. And when you look at this idea, you know, if you if you think of, like for instance, they'll have a, an instrument of some sort, it might be a bell or whatever it is, and a pan with a sand on it. And when they activate this instrument, I mean, you just watch the different patterns that show up in the sand. I mean, literally, the structure just changes totally. And every time a certain frequency is hit, a certain structure reflects in the sand or the water. And when you listen to the ancient, you know, what they thought were some old fogies that were pretty ignorant in the desert, and they said, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh, and that the power of life and death is in your words. What do you suppose if you've got a cell that has a certain form and structure, and you impact it with the frequency of your voice, speaking it into the creation, what happens to the state of organization of your cellular structure? Well... Words based in hostility and fear express cymatically, if that's a word, as disease, suffering, and death. And when we turn the game around, we turn the game around. And the whole idea of this work is, quite literally, to turn the game around, to turn us back toward, to set the mind into a different place, so that the words we use, the frequencies that exude from our voice box that impact our own physiology first, are changed. And so that's what we're here to do, is to understand how that happens, and in particular, how to dig up ancient frequencies and remove the ones that never belonged. That is, to forgive. When you replace the word forgive with removal, you've got a much closer idea to the Aramaic forgiveness than the Greeks who talk about how it's about me letting you off the hook 
for what's happening inside of me, for what I've created. So how do I delve inside of myself and remove the energetic patterns that never belonged within me as a human being? That's the process of forgiveness. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever to do with letting other people off the hook because there are traumatic expressions in your physiology as a result of your speaking and as a result of your thinking, I should say cycling information from the past because what most people call thinking is nothing but cycling information from the past and if most people said what they thought, they'd be speechless because they're just living out of the replicate mind playing out the past dynamics time after time after time. So if that resonates anything for you, I'd love to hear your voice. I'd love for you to uh, put your somatic device into your telephone and have it come out with us on the radio show. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Where is your work going? Bob just typed in the chat room, my words are my spells, so I cast them wisely for the universe is always listening and takes everything I say literally, literally. And something that while you were talking about um, in our genetic structures and the frequencies that are embedded, you know, Bob talked about that both of his parents had cancer. And so this could be a generational uh, issue for him as well. That, you know, not necessarily, you know, yes, he may have brought it out by, you know, he was mentioning um, not eating well or whatever, but um, it could be something that's in his genes that then was triggered into activity. And while there's a whole lot of conversation about genetic disorders and genetic diseases in the medical world, scientifically, if I remember correctly, the number is something like about 3% of disease processes are attributable to what they call genes. So that's not where it's at. I mean, that's where the content is that needs to be accessed and changed, but it's not a genetic problem. There's a thing called epigenetics, which epigenetics, epi means over, something that causes our genetic structure to move into a certain activity to reflect certain energetic patterns. So the gene, you know, in the medical world, the genes have always been thought of, or at least until relatively recently, have been thought of as primary. You know, that's the primary organizer of the system. Well, genes have absolutely no ability to activate themselves or deactivate themselves, to turn themselves on and off, just not possible. Something has to happen in the environment to turn the gene on or to turn the gene off. If there's a gene that's been activated that's expressing as a dis-ease, then that dis-ease can't turn itself off. But if you look at the environmental factor, was the environmental factor, you know, cheap, uh, restaurant type of, of vegetable oils? Was that the activator? Was the activator hate? Was it rage? Was it vengeance? Was it fast food over a period of years? 
Was it buying things in boxes at a grocery store which have no food value whatsoever? If those were the environmental factors, then you correct those factors and that which turned the gene on tends to turn it off and vice versa. So understanding that we have a whole lot more control over what expresses. A lot of people play this victim game. Oh, well, I'm just a victim of my genes. No, no, you're not. You are designed to be the director of your genes. It is up to you what you do with it. By the way, do you know how you tell the sex of a chromosome? You pull down its genes. And on that note, I'll stop talking and say, let's, let's have somebody say hello, push, push. Well, I couldn't resist. I apologize. My kids call those my dad jokes. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number, 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show live. And if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us. So what's on your mind? You were, you were looking for Peter earlier? Yes. He is, he is now with us. Well, hey there, young man. Welcome. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? I'm in the car, and that's why I got late. But uh, Oh, well, that's okay. We can hear you loud and clear. Good. Um, now, I tuned in right when you were talking about the genes, and for my family, the genes were diabetes on both sides. And my father was capable of turning it around through diet and what I would call a really good attitude. So he never got it. Uh, however, the grandparents did. And then I ended up getting it. But I was just interested in what you were saying regarding um, activating the gene. There are a number of good videos on YouTube by a cell biologist named Bruce Lipton and he shows very clearly what the epigenetic factor is and that the change that needs to happen is not in the genes that it's the environment that creates that influence and when you recognize that a human body mind unit is an energetic device is designed to be totally and completely immersed in an energy field called love <coughs> and that for most people it's been immersed in an energy field based in just about anything but love then you get some some insight and some realization as to what kind of changes need to take place to bring us back to physically mentally emotionally the place we're designed to live that makes sense it does. I appreciate Bruce Lipton a lot. Actually, about, geez, 25 years ago, was shortly after I wrote the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I was in New York City. I was interviewed on a TV station there. And the interviewer, after our interview, said, Do you know Bruce Lipton? No, never heard of him. 
well, he's a cell biologist. He's doing the same work you're doing. I was like, a cell biologist doing the same work? And no, I think you got us mixed up. So he sent me a, a copy of his interview with him. We actually have that on uh, one of our CDs. There's an interview with myself and, and another one with Bruce Lipton with this interview in New York. And um, <clears throat> after watching that video, I called the guy back. and was like, <laughs> whoa, I'm, uh, this is totally new to me, pretty exciting stuff. Um, have you got a phone number for Bruce Lipton? And he said, yeah, I'll give it to you. And he gives me Bruce Lipton's phone number, and I call Bruce. I say, hi, my name is Michael Rice, and, and he stops me mid-sentence. Michael Rice, you're the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Um, yeah, how do you know that? He said, I'm sitting here reading your book. He had just spoken at a conference in um, Boulder, Colorado, at a university there, and somebody in the university had given him my book, and he left the conference was sitting at home reading it when I called him. It was like interesting synchronicity, but he's doing some awesome stuff, some awesome work. He hasn't, and, you know, the, the forgiveness process, unfortunately, didn't click or didn't catch on for him. Uh, one of the things he often talks about is hypnosis, and uh, many years ago I was trained in hypnosis, and... What I discovered, for me at least, was that we don't need to be hypnotized. We need to be dehypnotized. You know, when the master said transcend, they weren't saying float out in space somewhere. They were saying put an end to the state of trance. Get out of the state of hypnosis. And turning the deep energetic patterns in this structure over to somebody else to change for us is not the idea. It's the idea is to develop the skills to be able to become aware of, decode the content of our own body-mind units, literally down to our own genes, and learn how to remove the energetic influences that don't belong, rather than have somebody else do it for you. So you texted about an issue you wanted to share with me um, and do some processing around. So is that still appropriate? Are you still with us, Peter? Yeah, I'm here. Are you muted? Uh, oh, there you go. Okay. I was muted. Um, I know. I have that mute challenge every once in a while myself. Because <laughs> the phone blacks out, and then I forget I pressed it. Um, so I don't think I want to do it right now. Um, That's cool. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember which one I asked you for. Um, But um, I did somebody last week, a uh, cameraman at the marina, and I don't know why I started talking about you, but you might get a call from him. Uh, he was very interested in your work, which basically I'm sharing with everybody. Um, and for other listeners that don't know, uh, we kind of, worked together. I went to your intensive 30 years ago and got back into it this year, but um, still very impressed. And through the years, I've met people on the plane. I was a pilot. I'd met passengers and I was carrying your book and people would say, that book changed my son's life. Um, I never got to tell you that because never really saw you after that, but 
anyway, I appreciate your work. It's Bruce Lipton. Glad to hear it. His name sounds... Yeah, you'll enjoy what he's got to say. Okay. Came to Heartland after I had written the book. So it probably would have been after I had learned about Bruce Lipton and I started to sew some of his stuff in because he's just, you know, coming from that cell biologist level. He was a a med med school uh, professor and um, finally got out of that field because there was no room for truth. It was had to be, you know, everything that uh, fits with the brotherhood. That's probably where I heard that name then was from you 28 years ago or 30 years ago. Yep. Uh, And we met in unity church in Atlanta. That's where we actually met. Um, And you were talking about your books. So anyway, accolades to you and the intensive was great. Do you think you're going to do that next year? We're looking at doing a summer season next year. Yes. We almost did one last year. You know, since COVID struck, our last season was 2019. And when COVID hit, we didn't open up. And uh, last year, we were kind of on the fence. And it's a lot of work to reopen the property. And so uh, it just got to the point where, well, we're not going to do this this year. But next time we're looking at, especially if, you know, people give us the indicator that they're interested and want to play then we'll probably be doing the summer season. I will definitely come. Um, That was the best. Well, then you're on the list. All right. Um, Oh, by the way, I'm next to my credit union. That was one of the areas I had to go to today because I want to pay for my... uh, Still point breathing year. Yes, but if if you would do that from a post office, not the credit union, because we can't do anything. The reason I asked for that is because our bank is way out in Missouri and we're in Tennessee. And so um, a credit union payment form doesn't do us any good here. We still have to send it to Missouri. And we've had some unfortunate uh, experiences with the mail, so we try to stay away from that. So if you do that at the post office, that would be awesome. That's great. I tried last week, but there are too many people because of the holidays. So um, yeah, I, I so hear that one. The credit union is just to get cash and then go over to the post office. So it should be available today. But, well, awesome. But yeah, the Snowboy right. Breathing was exceptional. Um, and I told you last um, meeting that the relationship with my son like miraculously overnight shifted and is such is the same today so sweet well glad to be on the team that's what we're here for okay to bring that around yep michael i appreciate your work and we're going to stay in touch i have some commitments i'm running around in this car I actually pulled over so we could talk, but um, I might sign off early today. All right. But I'll I'll go for it again tomorrow. All right. Have a blessed one. Lots of love. Thanks, Michael. Bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Well, Miss Ian, we're down to about 15 minutes. Let's go for it.
This is Miss Linda, 541. You're on the air. Hello. hello. Welcome, young lady. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Oh, thank you. I thought I'd rescue you, but then Peter rescued you. <laughs> anyway, uh, you asked about... Go for it. How, What's on your mind? How I, how I see the coming year. I'm really excited that you're going to do the Enlightenment book this coming year. I appreciate that very much. And um, I ordered that extra copy because I had just loaned out my Enlightenment book when I... After I, after which I remembered that you were going to start reading from it the 15th. So that's why I hustled to get another copy and I can loan that out rather than the one I have marked up already. <laughs> and that went out so in the mail today. Thank you, ma'am. I'll get that checked to you as soon as I can get it to the mailbox. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm just very grateful for my journey. I had a talk with my brother the other day, and um, we had a really good talk. I think one of my goals for this year is to learn how to really listen. So I appreciated the recording that Dr. Tim put on the first half of the show. Um, And to learn to really, really deeply listen and to witness people's pain without reacting to it so that I can be the witness for them so they can feel as if they were not isolated or that they feel that they would feel that they would have support. And and then, of course, right. I'm finding out what my third one word is for the year because the first year was abide where it just jumped out everywhere. The second year was gentle, and that was my focus. And I could hardly find gentle anywhere. I found it in The Gentle Art of Blessing by Pierre Pratervand, and I think I found it once in The Way of Mastery. And so you I found it in The Commitment. Be- Pardon? Pardon? Have you been working with The Commitment? Uh, no, that might be something that I would want to dig it out. I got I, I I got your commitment from your Christmas card. Thank you so much, and it's pasted on my wall right now. So that must be an indicator, right? I have to go there you past go. the cupboard every time I walk into the bedroom. So there it is, right at eye level. So I promise, I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth and treat you lovingly, gently, with right. much respect. Right, and that's good. You know, have you listened? You know, you did the um, personal code evaluation recently. We did right. it. Right, and I have to have get you... to Jeannie. Uh, I have to get together with you, Jeannie, about that because I'm, I'm, it's not uh, lining up the way you said in the uh, email to me, and I don't know whether I have to. I want to go back and check whether it's me or whether there was something that was. Uh, a number that was pulled in from another part of the evaluation. So I got to find out. I don't got to do anything. I'm going to find out as soon as I clear my deck, and then I'll be in touch okay. with you about that. They're attached oh, as a PDF, so you should just be able to print it off. Because um, uh, yeah, PDF I, is like I, a set formatting. Yeah, and I'll have to do that down at the. Uh, the newspaper because I don't have a printer. 
So what I'll do is um, I'll get I'll, I've been trying to copy it on a blank form, all three of them, because I want to compare them. Uh, then, yeah, Question. gently. I'm glad. Anything. Pardon? Question before you go on from there. Have you, since you did the, the latest evaluation, have you gone back and listened to the videos for the assignment on the evaluation? Not yet, because I want to, I want to align that uh, third one with the other two, and then I'll go back and listen. It's very hard for me to be on the computer, Michael. It bothers yeah. my whole body. That energy field just really does. So I do yeah. much better um, either with just something that's audio, and so I can mm -hmm. listen to it when I'm fixing supper or something. I just yeah. um, would rather not inundate Larry with hours and hours of Aramaic gospel because we're in such a little place. So much of our time is spent together yeah. in the motor home. Yeah. So I will Well, here's my offering. That definitely was that definitely was uh I think you offered <laughs> excuse me. Oh, that my you offering. offered before. <clears throat> okay. I'm ready. Do you remember what your word was for the year, what you're planning? For this year? Yeah. Oh, I'm just ready to do it. I, you do it right at the end of the year. Do what? The, what was your uh, word? Find, finding out what your word is. Finding out what no. your word is. Because it's a matter I understand. of asking. You I already think you shared said your word already. Listen. You shared it. I was listening. Okay, my word so, last year was gentle. I haven't done my no. word for this year. Okay, so what I'm going to invite you to do now is I'm going to assign you three things. One, I'm going to offer to you that what, what you... I have to get paper. Coming. Okay. So your first assignment will be to go back and listen to this conversation that we've had. Okay. That'd be my first offering. Okay. And what you'll notice when you hear it, if you listen carefully, is that you told us your word was listen. You already told us that. Oh. Okay. That's good to know. And then I'll invite you to notice. That. I'll invite you to notice that when when someone's speaking, you always have a lot of words to say. And I'm inviting you to consider whether or not that might be a defense against listening. I'm sure it is. And okay. And so if you don't want to end in date Larry, I'd suggest get a just a simple set of headset, you know, five dollar headset. Put on your computer and listen to the assignments for the personal code evaluation. You don't have to work something else out, figure something else out, align anything else. That's just a conversation that I offer maybe, perhaps, I might be totally in error, but I might be on track. It might be just a way to keep yourself from having to listen. So I'm going to just invite you to listen to that. 
And what you'll notice is, and, and you know your intuition is feeding you right on track here, because the first, your, your number one challenge on your personal code evaluation is honoring truth. And the number one assignment in honoring truth is to listen and receive information as offered. And what I notice is that usually when you receive information, and, and I'll just, the reason why I'm asking you to go back and, and listen to our conversation so far, is you'll notice that you filled the space with a lot of words. And I'm, I think you might catch yourself that that's one of your defenses against the truth, and it's one of your defenses against listening. And the number one assignment is to listen and just receive information rather than, oh, now I'm going to fill the space with the whole conversation about why something else has to take the place or that it's got to be different or I know better or this is right or that's right. It's just it doesn't say do anything. It doesn't say accept it. But the number one assignment for your number one challenge is to just listen and receive information as offered. And notice how your mind wants to spit out when you hear something. Your mind wants to spit out something to fill the space. And that's not part of listening. So, so the, the assignment on that particular challenge is dual. To listen and receive the information. If I instantly go into a conversation when I'm fed something, what usually I'll do is I'll, well, I, I heard the words, but I'm not going to let them in because I'm going to fill the space with this. And so if that's accurate, that would be a big step forward in your process and your healing. Be major, mega. And check it out. See what happens. In the meantime, we'll be holding the space. Did you say there was a third one? I'm writing this down. Well, the first one was to the first one was to listen to this conversation again in the archive. Okay. The second was to listen to the uh, videos on the personal code evaluation feedback, and in particular, pay attention to your number one challenge. And the third one is to just notice how your mind instantly, your carbon-based memory, instantly wants to spit things back when you're offered something. Okay, so number and, one is... To, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Number one is just listen to today's conversation. Okay. And number two is to listen to the PCE um, feedback. Feedback video. And number three is notice what your carbon-based memory does and how it tends when you're given a piece of information to spit something into the space. And I'm offering that you just observe and see if it's true. If it's not true, throw it out. But if it's true, what I see what I have heard oftentimes over the years in speaking with you is that when you're offered something, your mind often just fills the space, and that's the way to avoid that's the way to avoid receiving. And the assignment for your number one challenge is listen and receive. 
as opposed to just, well, hear the words. But hearing the words, I mean, they call it listening, but it doesn't really let the information in. And if my mind instantly spits back something, I can bat that information away. Well, yeah, I heard the word, but I bat the information away with my speaking. And so take the time to, to actually receive information when it's offered and receive it without editing it, without changing it, without fixing it, without knowing you've got something better, but just actually being with what the information is. Receive it as offered. And, and you'll notice when you look at the feedback sheet and the video, they were done, you know, this was done 30 years ago. Before we ever knew you, it was not, meant, was not made just for you. It's just the way the mind works. It's what the mind does. And so if you do those three things, I think you're going to see another whole major upgrade in your process. And we're here to hold space for you and for us. Uh, and oh, okay. And and then I would add another one is go back to the or my number one for this time. I feel like you know I, at first I couldn't understand Jeannie why you said oh good work, but I'm beginning to see how it all relates. The, all of the sections relate to each other, and how one change when one changes how they all change because the dynamics is that once we change one thing or once we uncover one thing then it shifts everything else because everything else is connected and if you look back besides you know that your your top challenges how much you went up in each section yes you know everybody get has a one two three four top challenge but look how many of them like yeah, you went down in one, but you went up 27 points in one. You went up 11 points in one, 17 points in one, 28 points in one. That's why I said good work. I mean, you increased from the previous scoring. So that's why I said great work. Except in one arena. Except in one arena. And that was honoring truth. Yeah, that one you went And down. the video, when you, when you watch the video on understanding the personal code evaluation, you'll see how, and it's something to pay attention to, how uh, honoring self, honoring others, and honoring truth, how they have to be balanced. And if they're not balanced, then the mind skews its construct, skews its perception. And as you focus on that one and really follow the assignments, especially the one that says, I listen and receive, let yourself be with it, then that one will jump and come into a deeper level of bounce and your mind will just be a, what's the best way to say it? It will move forward a quantum leap in the way it serves you. This is very timely for me because I have been attempting to um, quote-unquote control, I guess you would say, my interrupting, and it's not a controlling process. It has to be about awakening, and it's been like little steps. And uh, now in relation to things that have happened to me and conversations I've had with Larry and conversations with friends who are in a great deal of pain, um, uh, it's all coming together with what you put out today is how I don't make space for myself and others. And um, and also from Dr. Tim's recording about the sense of validation that we get when we really feel heard. And so I was um, 
So I, I feel like I'm right. There's the key. There's the key. My offering would be, and you just said the key word, is your major motivation is I want to be heard. How did that prayer of St. Francisco seek, seek to uh, teach me to? Oh, a practice. Oh, somebody asked him, how often should we preach? And he said, preach always and use words if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that ability to receive information is blocked when my primary motivator is I need to be heard. I can't hear when I to be heard. When I have something to say and I can just quietly breathe, go inside myself and receive the information that's being offered, a whole different dynamic takes over the mind. Especially if I'm attached to um, uh, being right or wrong, because to be wrong was... Well, being, but, but, but being heard is the same as being right. Same thing, same dynamic, if I need to be heard. That's a a good way of referencing it, having to be heard, right? Okay. And when you let go of the need to be heard, there'll be a big, there's probably your 77 times 70 worksheet issue is canceling the need to be heard and canceling the need to be right because they're one and the same. Because on that, I can just see where a whole bunch of my issues are cascading from, uh, like having yes. the feeling I had to have to defend myself, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Very good. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun when you get to listen to that assignment on on uh, um, honoring truth. That'll be that'll be monumental for you. Uh, Michael, this and, and yes, and Jeannie's right on the scores. Some of the changes and scores you got are fabulous. You know, you're obviously doing your work and you're on track. So nice work. This is a nice forgiveness process that you've offered me right here. Thank you. All right, young lady. Well, the show is over officially. They haven't cut us off yet, but thank you for being here and everybody. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And thank you, Celinda, and blessings. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.